Welcome to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Scott of Denver Seminary. What are the challenges we face in today's church and culture in a postmodern, post-Christian era? Dr. Haley believes that in addressing those issues, the church must adopt a missional mindset. Christianity does hold the answers to the big questions of today's culture. Let's join Dr. Haley for today's edition of Christian Curious. Never be in a hurry. Do everything quietly and in a calm spirit. Do not lose your inner peace for anything whatsoever, even if the whole world seems upset. Advise the Swiss clergyman, St. Francois de Sales. The pace of life today swirls faster and faster, and with the 24-hour news cycle and access to social media, we seem to careen from disaster to disaster. Where can we find peace? How do we achieve it? Is it even possible to achieve inner peace despite personal loss, struggles, and the problems facing people around the globe? Today marks the beginning of the second week of Advent in which we reflect upon peace. In Isaiah 9-6, we read, For to us a child is born, to us a child is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But what does peace mean exactly? Here, the Hebrew word is shalom, which means wholeness, completeness, soundness, health, safety, and prosperity, and it carries with it the implication of permanence. Our guest today has thought a great deal about the subject of peace, both in her personal life and in those she mentors on a daily basis. Laura Flanders, M.A., is the Associate Lecturer and Chair of the Training and Mentoring Curriculum at Denver Seminary. Prior to her arrival at Denver Seminary in 2005, Laura spent her career in national industry nonprofit management in the area of leadership development and training. In addition to raising their now adult children, she and her husband served in pastoral ministry for 24 years, the last 10 in church planting. She also consults for businesses, nonprofits, and churches in the Denver area. Laura graduated from Seattle Pacific University and Denver Seminary. As an avid gardener, Laura also enjoys biking, kayaking, golfing, and eating home-cooked meals with others. And I can also say that she makes a really good loaf of sourdough bread. Oh, you got a piece. I did. So welcome to the show, Laura. Thanks, Haley. Good to be here. Laura, there are so many ways of understanding peace. The world peace, peace in human relationships, inner peace. How how do you define peace? You know, you talk, you use the word implication in your uh, introduction, mm-hmm. and I think we need to honor all the implications of peace that we desire. We need to think about the desires that we have for peace, inner peace, world peace. We uh, there's a verse in Psalm Psalm one sixteen that says. Uh, that we walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Yeah. But the context of that psalm is in a time of death and sorrow. It was a war zone. Right. It was a war zone. And so we have to acknowledge the fact that we walk 
with the Lord in the land of the living, but in the midst of a war zone. So I think it's important for us to first acknowledge before I define what peace is, that the implications of peace are so necessary. Inner peace, world peace, yeah, relational peace. Yes? Yes, yes. absolutely. <laughs> um, but you already touched on it. In Isaiah 9, it's prophesied. We define peace, and his name is Jesus. Jesus, the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. Right. The person. And so how would you explain to someone how to achieve peace as far as whenever we're, you know, especially during the the holidays, Mm. you know, the, you know, we're rushing, we are more aware than ever of our own dysfunction in our families and the, (laughs) the lack of peace within our family dynamics. Um, so how can we, what do we do to achieve peace? Yeah, boy, to achieve it. Is it something to be achieved or is it something we're waiting for? That's a good question. Yeah, that's a good question that I'm still wrestling with today. Bonhoeffer um, wrote a bunch of letters, and in one of his books to his friend Eberhard, all the letters are collected in a book to his friend Eberhard, and he says life in a, pr- um, life in a prison cell may well be compared to Advent. Wow. Yeah. He says one waits, hopes, and does this or that or the other, things that are what he calls of no consequence, and the door is shut. It can only be opened from the outside. And so that's what we're doing is we're learning to wait. And we have no power over that, do we? No. As we're waiting for the Prince of Peace to return. And I think one of the practical things that we forget is that Christ has come. Yes. As we're waiting, we forget that he's already come and that he's already won the battle over death and evil. It's not Christ versus the devil right now. Yeah. Christ has won. Um, But the reality is, is that he still hasn't quite finished So we're still waiting for our redemption and our restoration. And so Advent is a time of year when the church calendar allows us to practice this waiting that we're really bad at. Right. We're really, really bad at. And we, we, we forget that it's the person of Christ that is within us. Second Corinthians chapter 13, Paul is talking to a group of Corinthian, a group of church members in Corinth, and they'd forgotten who they belonged to, and he was having to defend his apostleship because he was all his weaknesses were being pointed out, um, and he defends his apostleship based on the fact that Christ is within him, and he says to the, he says to the Corinthians, when will you not real when will you be realize that Christ is within you? And so we have to, Haley, as we sit across the table from one another, we have to remind each other of that, that Christ is within us. And we, yes, we are waiting for, for the full redemption. And that's hard to do. It's a prison. feels like a prison cell. And the door can only be opened from the outside. It is. You mentioned Bonhoeffer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, there are so many monsters that um, I've often talked to my daughters about about monsters, about what, especially around Halloween, and we talk about monsters, and and I say, well, you know, these monsters that you see, you know, around the time of Halloween, these aren't the real monsters. There are real monsters, and 
Bonhoeffer had a monster on the other side of his prison door who was Hitler. Yeah. And those monsters um, can be so frightening that they can threaten that inner peace. Mm -hmm. But only we can relinquish the peace that Christ gives because he keeps in perfect peace he whose mind is stayed on thee. Yeah. But we're still a work in progress, aren't we? We are. And we need each other to rem- remind each other. Yeah. You know, Christ is within us and peace yeah. is within access yes. of us. It is within access and we are a work in progress. And transformation, at least in our experience, feels far too slow. Oh, absolutely. It is, it, it is excruciatingly slow for me. And I get very, very impatient in that process. Um, I think... God is kinder to us than we are to ourselves as we're waiting to be renewed and to be perfected in our inner peace. <laughs> Absolutely. We, we almost make ourselves too much of a project. I, I have suffered on occasion from anxiety. I remember once in my life I had anxiety, panic attacks. It was when my husband told me he wanted to be a church planter. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized I was going to have to be a senior pastor's wife. <laughs> well, we could go into all that, but right. I started having panic attacks. And it wasn't until I braced the reality of the panic attacks and realized these are just doing its good work in me that the panic attacks uh, diminished. Yeah. And I understand. I'm not speaking to those who are suffering in their body um, for all sorts of reasons, and they don't diminish, right? right. They don't. Mm-hmm. They might suffer from them for the rest of their lives. Because of trauma. Because of trauma, Mm -hmm. right. We have to acknowledge all of that. And I have my own version of trauma, things that don't go away, um, that we're still carrying with us, the side of heaven. Yes. Um, But this prophecy of Christ, Emmanuel, the Lord is with us. Right. Uh, Boy, that, that doesn't completely heal me, this side of heaven, but it sure is my aim. It's what I'm rooted in. I can hope for all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. I could have hoped for my sister to not commit suicide. I could have hoped for my nephew to not commit suicide. I could have hoped for the church to not turn their back on my husband and me. I could have, ho- I could have hoped for all kinds of things, and I did, and those are good things to hope for, right? Yes. But my hope has to be in that Christ has come and that he has died and what he accomplished on the, on the cross and, and through the resurrection. Yeah. Are we resurrection people? Um, but my rooted hope is in the fact that he is coming again. I'm speaking about my confessional theology, mm-hmm. right? Right. Yes. In my confessional theology is what I can say because mm-hmm. I read scripture and I hear what it, I see what it says and I can speak it out loud and I can teach it. I can stand up in front of a group of students. I can sit in my office. But yeah. what's my functional theology? Right. Sometimes I'm functioning out of falsehood. Mm-hmm. And can I get to the place in my life where that doesn't shame me so much? Yeah. And I can sit across the table from you, my sister in Christ, and we could talk about how my functional theology is really messing me up right now. Yeah. Right. I had God a- is a judge or he's a vending machine or he's a nanny. All those things that we struggle with that are so that we can make our confessional theology and our functional theology more congruent. Um, that's a lifelong, very slow, very process. slow process. Oh, I remember slow. when I was first coming back to Christianity and I, 
you know, I had walked away from faith. I was an atheist and I was waiting tables through college and I waited on this group of seminary students and I could, I was kind of listening to their conversation as I brought them their meals and I served them and, and it was two girls and two guys. And I thought, oh dear God, I'm never going to be like them. Mm -hmm. I mean, from where I am now, you know, for, to where they are is just so vast. And I got home that night and I almost despaired of trying to become a Christian, trying to be, come back to the Christian faith. And I really felt the Lord impress upon me, you know, Haley, it wasn't one decision that got you to where you are now. And it's not going to be one decision that gets you back. And no, you're never going to be like those seminary students. That's not been the story that you have, but I'll be able to use your story for good. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Trusting in what Romans 8 talks about, that God works it all out for good. Right. That's it's speaking again there to the presence of God and his, the peace that he brings into the midst of the chaos. Some people will say that peace is the absence of chaos. And then other people will say, well, no, that's not true. I'm not sure what I think. Yeah. <laughs> because I think there will be an absence of chaos one day. Um, but so what do you think are, you know, especially during the time of the holiday season, and maybe not even just that, what are the areas that tend to steal people's Christians' peace the most? I'll talk about what steals my peace the most. Okay. If that's okay to do. Go right ahead. What steals my peace the most is when I try and spend my energy in domains that aren't my domains to spend my energy in. Yeah. Uh, an illustration could be my dog, you know, raising kids. So we're made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. God is a God of power and he takes charge over things in, in life. Yes, we can say that he holds all things together, but we're made in his image. And so we're too supposed to take charge and to enter into the domains that he's given us to take charge and to be powerful. Mm -hmm. Can we use that word in a good way? And being a mom is like that. You're raising two girls. I am. I've raised two kids. One's 30, one's 27. And when they were kids, I, I had to take charge. I had to have ownership. I had to say yes and to say no. I had some level of taking charge. I had place where I should spend my energy. But she's 27 now. He's 30 now. That's a domain that I don't have charge over anymore. Right. I still have energy to spend as I love and care for them. I'm not done being their mother. Um, but if I keep thinking in that domain that I'm supposed to have power over that, I'm going to lose a sense of peace because I don't have that power right. anymore. And I could take that into all, pla all kinds of places where I, where I work at Denver Seminary. There's domains there that I don't, I shouldn't be leaking my energy in certain domains there. I love that image of leaking your energy. I, I've stolen that from Elizabeth Gilbert. <laughs> yeah. Don't leak your energy where you don't, aren't supposed to have spend your energy you lose a lot of a sense of peace over that the lord gives us i mean i don't know how deterministic this sounds i'm not very much of a determinist but he gives us spaces of contexts in which we're to spend our energy 
Yes. We're supposed to embrace our limitations. Mm -hmm. We're humans. Jesus did this as a human. He walked this earth perfectly embracing his limitations. And he's our example. He said yes. He said no. He didn't leak his energy where it wasn't supposed to be leaked. Now, he did say to the disciples, I got to get out of here because a better thing needs to, a better person needs to come. And he was speaking to the Holy Spirit, which is what is in us today. Right. Right. It's, it's, uh, we have, we have um, effectiveness because of the power of the Spirit within us. But at the end of the day, I'm only gifted so much. I'm only one person. And that takes a lot of discernment. It takes a lot of time. And that's something that I think that you could um, start to practice is start practicing discernment on the calling of mm -hmm. your life and practice start saying no yeah. to people. Yeah. That can be hard for both men and women. Uh, men, because they may feel like the burden of advancing their careers. Women, because we feel like we have to say yes to everything. In order to be paid attention to. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Or, and there's a lot of fear too. So if I don't say yes to this open door, then, then I might not have any more. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. I get my version of that. Yeah. Yep. And there might be a time in life where we say more yeses than no's. Right. I'm in that time. Yes. I had to say no, 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 no to so many things for so many, for so long. Cause my big yes was to my mom and caring for Alzheimer's. That was my yes. I couldn't give any more yeses. So I said a lot of no's to things that would have given me opportunity and advancement and uh, career moves and doctorates. I had to say no to all of that. Yeah. Yet now I'm in a time where I can say yes. I could, I'm here with you today. Mm -hmm. I couldn't have done that when I was caring for my mom. So yeah, there are seasons of saying yes and seasons of saying no. And it does take a lot of discernment. And I think a practical thing for us as we pursue uh, the peace of Christ in our lives and pursue being peace givers is the practice of community. Now that's a hard one, right? Because community has burned me. People in community have hurt me. My counselor used to say, where do you keep all those knives you've taken out of your back? I said, wow. And I said, they're in a suitcase underneath my bed. <laughs> <laughs> she said, we need to throw away that suitcase, Laura. Yes. Right. So, yeah. so when I say community is a practice of peace, that's hard for me to say because I've it had a hard. lot of people hurt me. And you know what? I bet I've hurt a lot of people. So it's really hard for me to say, but it, we're made in the image of Christ. We have Christ within us. If we look at our theology of what it means to live as Christ, it means we live in community. Yeah. You know, and, and I need mentors to help me discern what you're talking about. It mm -hmm. takes a lot of discernment and I can't discern that on my own. Well, you know, in community today is so difficult you know, if you look at statistics, if you look at the structure of society, you know, more and more people are lonely than than ever before, yep. or at least in recorded statistical history. Um, you know, one in th one in four yeah. uh, millennials don't have a single friend. More and more Americans are feeling lonelier than ever. And, you know, that is even um, accentuated or highlighted um, during the holiday season, when we think about, you know, community and so many Christians, we hear about the rising of the nuns. One of the reasons they have walked away from the faith is because community has stabbed them in the back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just this weekend, uh, my husband and I visited Westside church here in the Denver Metro area. 
and the pastor was telling us a story about how they were going out into the community doing different projects and things like that and they uh, came to this home of this woman and she says I will never go to your church I've been hurt far too much by the Christian community mm -hmm. to want to go to your church but you know what since you've been here I can tell a difference in this community and I hope you never go away mm. and so the Christian community can at once be very a place of very um, much pain and heartache and it also can be a incredible witness of the power of God working in the world today yeah I think I think what may have happened with this woman and at least I know my experience of what has happened for people that are outside the four walls of the church <laughs> um, they begin to feel uh, that it might be possible to reconnect to the church when they've been listened to. Yeah. So I think the act of listening is a powerful, peaceful practice. And Absolutely. It, it, to remain curious. So those who have been curious towards me, who, who, who have listened to me, have been peacemakers in my life. They've remained curious. They've listened to me. And they haven't checked their values or their convictions at the door. We might vehemently disagree on certain things, mm -hmm. but they stay re they stayed curious. My mentor, Arlene, she has stayed curious toward me. We are opposite from one another theologically. That might help her curiosity. <laughs> <laughs> it might. Um, and so if you and I, when we are mentors or whatever we want to label ourselves, when we approach women like that in the community who are so far outside the church because of their pain and sorrow that they experienced in the church, if we can just listen yeah, and be curious. And I like to think of people as little textbooks. I'll probably not ever write a textbook. Yeah. As a, in my well, career. Well, you never know. I never, I'll never know. I'm not, a, I'm not a writer. I don't know if I'll ever write a book, but I'm a reader of books. Mm -hmm. And most of those books are the people that come into my office every day. They're yeah. These textbooks that walk into my office. I have so much to learn. And to glean from, even if we vehemently disagree on certain things. Yes. Even, um, yeah, I probably shouldn't go down that rabbit hole, but there's a lot of stuff that's hard for me. Right. They, there might be theological viewpoints that come through that door that, oh, man, feels very existential to me, those viewpoints. They, it affects me existentially. Yet I can still set that aside and still stay curious and to learn and to grow from that person. Um, we need to do that with one another. That brings peace because if it's true that we're all made in the image of mm -hmm. God and even those who might not call Christ Lord are yeah. still made in the image. I have God in front of me, a, a, a cracked icon in front of me, as Scott McKnight calls it. A cracked we're a cracked icon. icon. Yes. And that cracked icon still can teach me about Christ, about, about God and who he is. Yeah. Even if they don't know him. <sighs> that yeah. sounds kind of subversive. So, Laura, we have a few minutes left. And, you know, I'm thinking about our listeners. I'm thinking about, you know, my own personal life as well. And, you know, so many people are walking through so many different war zones um, this Christmas season. Mm -hmm. And they are struggling with thoughts of suicide. Yep. They are struggling with family members 
who they're struggling with estranged um, people in their lives. They're struggling with uh, communities that have harmed them. They're struggling to put food on the table. They're struggling in so many different areas. They feel abandoned or forgotten by God. And they look at the 24-hour news cycle, and it's just disaster after disaster after disaster, which can really rob us of peace. So what would you say would be just a couple Mm. of strategies that our listeners can take hold of this Christmas season to, to locate that inner peace, to, to find it. You said we wait on it, but are there certain strategies that disciplines that help us? My friend, there are open that door to peace. So strategies or disciplines are a means to an end. Mm -hmm. They're not the end themselves. Right. Um, for me, um, during the darkest times of my life, um, I had one significant mentor who asked me this question. What have you given up doing that you love to do? Yeah. She was asking me to really think about how I could pay attention to beauty. Yes. So the practice of paying attention to beauty is what I'm going to suggest to your listeners. In whatever fashion that looks like. So my answer to her was, I haven't baked bread in five or six years. My mill, I have this mill. People think <laughs> I'm so weird. I get wheat berries and I mill my own flour and mm-hmm. I bake my own bread. And I hadn't done that for five or six years. She goes, I want you to bake bread this week. This was um, right after my sister committed suicide. Wow. After a year of one attempt after another. Think about how one could commit suicide. She tried almost every one of them and ended up hanging herself in, in her barn. Wow. It was just a, such How a tragic. Set, it was a tragic story. So I'm sitting on my mentor's couch, copious amounts of snot, and she said, pay attention to beauty. That saved me, Haley. It helped me find a, a sense of peace and gave me a window and an opening to return to the truth that Christ is our peace. I was screaming at God. I was, yeah, I was not happy. Right. Yeah. We can so often get a myopic view of our problems and our suffering that we forget to look for beauty. If your listeners could look up a poem by Jack Gilbert, a brief for the defense, look that up online. Beautiful, beautiful poem about paying attention to beauty, even on the streets of Calcutta. Well, thank you. Even on the streets of Calcutta. Even on the streets of Calcutta. It's possible. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Laura. May the peace of Christ be with you this Christmas season. You've been listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. You can visit us online anytime at www.christiancurious.org. Please reach out to me and email me at drhaley at christiancurious.org. Stay curious about your Christian faith. Thank you for listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. You can contact her with your comments or questions about today's show at her email, drhaley at christiancurious.org. That's D R H A L E E 
at christiancurious.org. You may also learn more by visiting the Christian Curious website, christiancurious.org. Join Dr. Haley again next week for Christian Curious on AM 670 KLTT.